We're so glad that y'all have joined us online for worship today, and we're positive that God has something specifically to speak just to you. We want you to know that you are always welcome here at First Baptist Azel, and that you can connect with us by going online to fbcazel.org forward slash connect. Now let's hop back into the sermon and hear what God has for us today. All right, let's, uh, let's look in Psalm chapter 19. What a great psalm and so many others that we're going to look at today. Verse 9, would you stand with me as we read God's Word together? The psalmist says, The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, uh, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the beauty of these words and the ones that follow. We thank you and praise you for your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. We are concluding our series this morning entitled Precious, Living Life Around What Matters Most. And I told you, I simply wanted to do a series on what I thought in the Bible uh, was considered top priority. And I used the word precious and did a study of the word precious in the Bible. And this is the final one that we're going to look at today. Previously, or in the first week, we looked at the precious blood of Christ. And then we looked at the jewel of wisdom the second week. Um, the third week, we looked at the beautiful gift of life, and I talked to you about God is the giver of life and is by His very essence pro-life. Last week, Chris shared with you the precious gift of the Spirit of God, and today's message is entitled, The Wonderful Word of God. The Wonderful Word of God. When I say the Word of God, when I say the Bible, what comes to your mind? In the 21st century, how does the world today see the Bible? For many, if not most, it is just another book. For many, it is irrelevant and unimportant. It's out of date, they will say. It's out of style. It's not politically correct at all. It is old-fashioned. It's okay for your grandparents, but not for the 21st century. And so many would say it simply does not apply to our world today. What do you say about the Word of God? And what does the Bible say about the Word of God? One writer said it this way. He said, curious times these. There are simultaneously a glut, or there is simultaneously a glut of the Word of God and a famine of it, a drought and a deluge. We have every translation of the Bible you can imagine, the NIV, the NEVG, the KJV, the NKJV, the NASR, and the NRSAV. The preacher's Bible, the worshiper's Bible, the spirit-filled believer's Bible, the left-handed, bald, gypsy fiddler's Bible with versions for the nearsighted and farsighted. And then he says the last was made up. I, in my office, was in there a while ago with someone who was in the first service and and he had asked me about a particular Bible, and I went in there to look. And so I started going through my Bibles. I have a collection. I'm a preacher, and we, we love Bibles. And, and so I've got a Patriot's Bible. 
I have a, an archaeological study Bible. I have my original NIV study Bible and a brand new study Bible that I just bought and I love very much. All colored, everything in it, and it's just a great Bible. I have my father's Bible that he had in World War II. I've shown you that before as well. And so I have all these Bibles that are so meaningful to me, and I know probably perhaps to you. Another writer said this, you can have the Bible in hardback, paperback, leather, cloth, in pink, red, oxblood, turtle shell, iridescent orange, psychedelic paisley. I've actually seen those. With maps and charts and indices and appendices and concordances and holograms of the temple in the back. And a little sleeve with a CD-ROM that takes you on a guided tour of the Holy Land. Is that not true? This morning, I went back to the house for a moment, and one of my sons, I won't say which one, but one of my sons came out of the house to go to Sunday school or come to church, and I said, son, he didn't have anything in his hands. I said, where's your Bible? I caught him, you know, no Bible. And he said, uh, it's on my phone. <laughs> well, how can you argue with that? I've got multiple translations on my phone and on my tablet and in my computer. I've got just pretty much every English translation that there is, including the original Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic uh, Bibles and, and uh, all kinds of study tools and commentaries. And, and, and so I understand when this guy says there is both a, a drought and a deluge because we have so many Bibles in our world today and yet the world ignores it more than any book. A writer states this, the word Bible means a book or a collection of books regarded as authoritative on a topic. Books like the Beauty Bible or the Fisherman's Bible use the word Bible in the title to claim that they are the standard authority on that particular topic. I recently heard a local newspaper claim, if your religion is sports, then our newspaper is your Bible. No other book is more authoritative on the topic of Christian faith than is the Bible. It is a collection of 66 different books divided into two sections, Old and New Testaments, written over 40, uh, by, excuse me, written by over 40 different authors over a span of 1,500 years in three different languages, yet it presents a unified message of God's plan and purpose for humanity. 39 books make up the Old Testament, which was written between around 1500 B.C. to 400 B.C., starting with the book of Genesis and ending with the book of Malachi. The Old Testament and the Jewish Bible contain, by the way, the same 39 books, though they're listed in a different order. The Roman Catholic Church also includes 15 other writings that, in their Old Testament that contain history between 400 B.C. and the beginning of the New Testament. The 27 books that make up the New Testament were written over about a 50-year span, and they deal with uh, the life and the birth of Christ, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. It describes the beginning of the Christian church and instructions on how to live as followers of Jesus Christ. The Old Testament is written primarily in Hebrew with a little Aramaic. The New Testament is written in Greek with a little Aramaic. Uh, um, and yet these diverse authors, each in their own way, present a unified portrait of God's plan and purposes in our world. As to different kinds of literature, the Bible is more diverse, I think, than any other document, ancient or contemporary. The Bible contains history, poetry, humor, 
prophecy, romance, letters, biographies, songs, journals, advice, laws, and stories. So the Bible is an entire library of different kinds of literature. The Bible was also the first book ever printed in the printing press. It is the best-selling book of all time, even to this day, and portions have been translated into over 1,900 different languages. So when I say Bible, this is what I'm talking about. Um, these 66 books that have been the foundation for the Christian faith since its very beginning. Now, as modern Americans, we are Bible rich. We have over 30 different English translations, over 30 different English translations available to us. I use the NIV New International Version, although I use other translations as well. And most of these are very fine translations and a few not so fine 24% of Americans own at least five Bibles. Let me say that again. 24% of Americans own at least five Bibles. I'm not saying they read the Bibles or use the Bibles, but they own the Bibles. So I have three simple questions for you today about the Bible. Three simple questions I want to ask you. Number one, do you cherish the Word of God? Do you cherish the Word of God? Look with me in Psalm chapter 18, verse 30, and I'm going to share with you a couple of psalms that talk about how David cherished the Word of God. Psalm 18, verse 30. He says, As for God, His way is perfect. The Word of the Lord is what? Flawless. That's a beautiful word, isn't it? There was a 2017 Gallup poll, just three years old, uh, that says from the mid-1970s through 1984, close to 40% uh, of Americans considered the Bible the literal Word of God. 40% back in the 70s and early 80s. 40% considered the Bible the literal Word of God. But this has been declining ever since, along with a shrinking percentage of self-identified Christians in the United States. Meanwhile, the percentage defining the Bible as mere stories has doubled with much of that change occurring just in the last three years. Still, while biblical literalism has waned, the vast majority of Americans, 71%, continue to, buy, uh, continue to view the Bible as a holy document. <clears throat> that is, they don't think it's literally the Word of God, but they do acknowledge that there's something a little different about the Bible from most documents, that there might be something there. They just don't quite know what. They consider that God-inspired rather than from God's own words. It would be in the same way that many Americans considered uh, our Constitution to be God-inspired, which I believe it is, but we don't consider the Constitution to be God's own word. It is not holy. It is important, but it is not holy. It is written by man and can be flawed because men are flawed. The Bible, however, is flawless because it was penned by God. He used people to pen his word. The largest segment, 47% of Americans, still think that the Bible is inspired in some way. But listen to what the Apostle Paul says about the Word of God in his letter to the Thessalonians. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. <clears throat> he says, And we thank God continually because 
When you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. Do you cherish the word of God? I want you to listen just for a few moments at David's description of how he cherishes the Word of God. This is from Psalm 119. I don't know if you've read Psalm 119 lately. It's, it's a long psalm. Um, one of the longest chapters in all the Bible. If not the longest chapter, it's long. But it's fantastic. Here's what he says in chapter 119, verse 9. He says this. <clears throat> how can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your Word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not, might not sin against you. Praise be to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Do you cherish the word of God? Number one. Number two, do you know the word of God? Do you cherish the word of God? I have to ask you, do you know the word of God? Psalm 119 and verse 11, one of the verses that I just read says this. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You know what he means by that? I've hidden your word in my heart. I've learned it. I've memorized it. <clears throat> when I was a boy, I've told you before, every Sunday night at 6 p.m., I went to training union. That's what we called it in the olden days. And training union was different than Sunday school or youth group or anything else. It had a, a very focused um, design. It was designed to teach us the Bible. And so we had sword drills. Do you remember sword drills? Ready, set, go, or whatever they said. It's been 40 years, sorry. And we had uh, red hots when we memorized uh, certain verses or Boston baked beans. They gave us candy when we, we learned the word of God. And we spent, I spent years in training union just memorizing verse after verse after verse after verse. Let me ask you this question, adults. <clears throat> when was the last time you sat down as an adult, opened the Bible with the express intent of memorizing a verse or verses in the Bible? When's the last time? Don't, uh, don't raise your hand. <clears throat> I want you to think about it. When was the last time you sat down and opened God's Word just for the purpose of memorizing a passage or a verse? Has it been a week, a month, a year, a decade? Are you thinking back at VBS when you're eight years old? How long has it been? And so I, I, I've got to tell you, you have to understand this. You cannot do the Word of God if you don't know the Word of God. You can't live by the Word of God if you don't know what it says. And I'll tell you, in our culture and in our society today, both throughout the world and particularly here in the United States, those who bash the Word of God the most don't have a clue what it says. They don't have any idea. They heard, they read some article from some liberal 
that said something about something that's in some passage somewhere, and they took all of that indirect information from that biased, unprofessional uh, view, and then they formed their own theology without actually ever opening the Bible at all. So the question to you is, do you know the Word of God? I got nothing for you if you don't know it. And if you're not even going to open the Bible and learn anything from it directly, how can God teach you? He's provided your word for you. Do you know the word of God? And maybe you do. I hope that you do. I myself, I'm a pastor and I'm guilty. I do not memorize the word of God like I should. I don't memorize it now as much as when I was a boy because we don't have training in it. We have Awanas, but I aged out of that. So... So we have to do it ourselves. Know the Word of God. Do you cherish God's Word? Do you know the Word of God? It will protect you. It will guide you. It will convict you. And it will save you from your sins. It will teach you what you need to know for God to come into your life and redeem you. Do you know the Word of God? Lastly, Do you obey the Word of God? Do you cherish God's Word? Do you know God's Word? Do you obey the Word of God? Because for many of us, we actually do cherish God's Word. We do know a lot of passages. There are many people here in both services. and Those of you watching online, there are many verses that you know. You might not remember the reference, but if I started quoting them, you could finish the verse. So we know the Word of God for many of us. The question is, do we obey it? And if you don't obey it, it doesn't matter if you have every verse in the Bible memorized. It's just a waste of time if you don't obey it. Do you obey the Word of God? In our world, for most people in this world of ours, the answer is no. For believers in Christ, the answer is probably sometimes. Sometimes I obey it, sometimes I don't. Now, I'll tell you, and and again, I'm a human being. I confess, just like you should as well, that there are times where you fail and I fail. We're all human. We know the Word of God, but we're trying. We're trying to obey the Word of God. The Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, and we mess up. We lose our patience when we shouldn't. We say things that we shouldn't say. We do things that we shouldn't do, and God convicts us of it, and we realize immediately, oh, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. That's the Holy Spirit convicting us. And so we fail in that way. That's not what I'm talking about right now. What I'm talking about right now is you know exactly what you're supposed to do and you just decide you're not going to do it. We do that. Oh, frequently with the Bible. More frequently than perhaps you realize, we, we hear the Word of God. We know the Word of God. We just don't want to do it. So I'm going to give you three examples this morning. And I'm, I, apparently my goal is by the end of the third example to make everybody mad. <laughs> Number one, here we go, is, is toast up in time. COVID is a perfect example. It's been a, ta- a tough year. You know, I told you when we started this process, or, or this process started earlier in the year, as we were trying as, as a staff to figure out how we were going to deal with it. Different churches deal with it differently. There are churches to this day that still are not meeting. Some meet, but they require masks. And then we're doing what we're doing. And so I told you, uh, first of all, that we as a staff were doing our best to try to figure it out what was the 
the most balanced approach, what to do and what not to do and what to have and what to cancel. And I don't like canceling things as a pastor, and that should be obvious to you at this point because we're doing just about everything. I mean, unlike most churches, we have two services in person and in addition to the online services. We have all of our Sunday schools meeting. We have our youth meeting. We have our children meeting. We have Awanas on Wednesday night. We have a Bible study or a couple of them that meet during the way. We have a prayer meeting that even our quilters are meeting every week. I mean, we, we, we haven't canceled much. But to this day still, I get people who come to me and they're, they are not happy. Now, I have some people from both ends of the spectrum, and I told you when this started, no matter what I did, some people are not going to be happy. Now, by the way, 98% of you, literally 98% of you have been great. You, you have not said a, an unkind word, at least not to my face. <laughs> but I have a few that have been upset that I don't require masks. I've had even more over on the rebel side. I don't, I'm pointing on this side over here, sorry. I'll keep my hands behind me. On the rebel side that... Uh, they, they don't, I mean, somewhere along the line, we begin to equate uh, um, coronavirus with government opposition and, and oppression, government oppression, and there is some truth to that. Uh, but you have to separate the politicizing of coronavirus and the reality of coronavirus, and as a pastor, I have to deal with that. And so if I cancel one thing, people get upset over it. And so what do you do? What, what are you supposed to do? Well, <clears throat> I, I, again, <laughs> here you go. <laughs> Romans chapter 13, verse 2 tells us what to do. I've to, I shared this with you earlier this year. Everyone, this is the Apostle Paul, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities for there is no authority except that which God has established. Let me read that again. There is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God, he says. So when Paul wrote this, who was in charge? It was the Roman Caesars. They were terrible leaders, godless leaders. So godless that they, they deified themselves and would require people to bow down and worship their statues. That's pretty bad. I mean, our leaders are... Sometimes pretty secular, but that's really bad. In light of how pagan these guys were, Paul still says, generally speaking, there is an exception. I'll get to that exception in just a moment. He says, generally speaking, you, God allowed all of these people. God has allowed the exact government that we have. It's not the government I would have picked. Not the government you might have picked. I'd go in and strike some dead right now. But I'm not God. And God is in control, and God, to, and he doesn't, God is not required to pass it by you and me. God can allow whatever God wants to allow because he's in complete control. He can stop anybody's heart from beating right now. God's in control. Not mostly or partly or with most folks, but every, there's not a single president, king, dictator, or Congress or any other politician in this world to which God does not have complete control and sovereignty. He can do what he chooses to do. Now the why, I will never fully fathom until we get to heaven, but I have to trust that God is in control. In light of that, he says the authorities that exist have been established by God. Verse two, he says, consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted and those who do so will bring judgment upon themselves. So generally, Paul says, you need to obey your government. 
Not when you just agree with your government, but even when you don't agree with your government, with one exception. And we find this through the Apostle Peter, who uh, shared this with the legal authorities of the day when they told him specifically to shut up and stop sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in fact, they brought him back before him and said, we told you to shut up and you keep talking about this. And Peter said, well, I must obey God, not man. So if our government or any other government tells us we can't do something or we must do something that's in direct violation of the word of God, we must obey God, not man. That said, does the Bible have anything to tell us about face masks? Oh yeah, there you go. There goes the preacher. It's my last day. It does not. And I don't like them. I hate them. Hate them. I can't breathe. But if the government tells me to, to, to wear them, we have three options. We can rebel. And I, you, you, no matter what kind of theological jig you dance in the Bible, you will not find where it says, obey your government unless there's face masks and then you, you toss it. It, it, and don't, don't shoot the messenger. It simply says what it says that we should obey our government. So um, I've, I even forgot what I was going to say there, but um, uh, wear your face mask. Now, I say that to a whole group that's not wearing their face mask, including myself. Uh, we, got, we, have, uh, what, we have four people. We have five people in the mask only section, and only three of them are wearing masks. <laughs> so we're a bunch of rebels. We are. However, that said, the government, at least here in Texas, has said you have to wear a mask everywhere you go in every business except church. You don't have to wear a mask in church. If, if they said wear a mask, well, they didn't, so I'm not going to go there. <laughs> but here's the thing. Generally, you should obey your government. Now, option number one, you can just say, no, nope, I'm not going to do that. And you cannot do that but that's not what the Word of God tells you. And again, here, here's what we do. We want to talk about people who blatantly disobey the Word of God. I'm straight, so I like to talk about gay people because I'm not gay, right? There are people out there, uh, single people out there, and again, I don't know why I walked over to the next section. <laughs> there are single people out there who go to church every week and, and, and they live their life going around like bunny rabbits. They just get in whatever physical relationship they want to, and then they talk about how bad homosexuality is. Well, you know what the Word of God says? And yes, I said bunny rabbits. Um, you know what the Word of... That's my family-friendly version. But the Word of God says, you're supposed to wait till marriage for that kind of thing. For, for some reason, we just separate it and we don't do it. We, I say we, not me, but <laughs> that wasn't a confession. I want you to know I had never, ever touched anybody other than my wife uh, when, when I married Cherry. Cherry had never, now I held, I had held a few hands, a couple. Uh, and that's, that, was, that was me being, I was real prudish. Cherry had never even held a boy's hand before. And so, uh, so I, again, I like to talk about that because I'm all righteous. So I don't like to talk about the things in the Bible that I rebel against. That's just our nature. We like to talk about how everybody else is failing God's word and God's concerned about what are we doing? Why are we ignoring God's word? Okay, enough about that. Number two, um, 
Uh, what is number two? Um, um, oh, okay. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> Let me share with you Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. This is a passage, I, uh, again, I share periodically with you. This is talking about your pastors. Here's what the Word of God says. I didn't write this. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. So in other words, what is telling, not in other words, in direct words, is telling you, you are supposed to obey your pastor and submit to his authority. Again, the same exception applies. If your pastor, me or any other pastor, tells you to do something that's in violation of God's word, you don't do it. God's word always takes precedent because God's word is flawless and pastors are flawed. But generally speaking, unless it's going to be in contradiction to God's word, you need to follow your pastor. And so if I, as your pastor, say, look, I'm going to ask you, if you would, to socially distance, uh, what should you do? You should socially distance. So here's what we do with that kind of thing and with masks and other things. We either say, no, nope, I'm not going to do it, or we say, okay, the Bible tells me to do that, or the pastor has asked me to do that, so I'm going to submit to that, or we submit to it, but we grumble the whole time. Well, it's stupid. I'm not going to wear a mask. I'm going to wonder if the pastor make me do all this. Oh, so the Word of God says, no, don't do that. Okay? Number three. I told you this was going to be a lot of fun, didn't I? <laughs> How we deal with conflict. And again, these are three examples. There are thousands. How should we deal with conflict? If you look at Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, this is wonderful. I, this is life-changing stuff that I'm about to read. And so listen to it very closely. In Matthew 18, 15, by the way, it would have just as much credibility if the Apostle Paul were saying it or Peter were writing it. But it, this is, these are actually the words of Christ. Jesus is saying this. And he's about to talk about relationships. Now, before I even tell you uh, uh, what he says, Jesus invented relationships because he created humankind. He is the master of relationships. And so you might want to, we might want to listen to him because he, it's a great guide. It's not a guide, excuse me. It's a command, but a great one. Here's the brilliance, the deepest wisdom you will ever hear concerning relationships. He says this to Matthew 18, 15. <clears throat> if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you've won your brother over. But if you will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. <clears throat> now, Jesus is telling us in relationships, first of all, when there's conflict in your relationships, and everybody has relationships and everybody has conflict, myself included, we all have conflict, we all have disagreements. He says, if there is a disagreement, and I'll tell you in the beginning, his goal is what? His goal is reconciliation. 
God wants us to love one another. He wants us to forgive one another. He wants us to resolve our differences. Parents, as loving parents, that's what we try to teach our children. If we have multiple kids and they're fighting with each other, we stop it and we try to help them or <laughs> guide them directly. No, 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 no. Stop hitting your sister. Don't beat your brother. Don't do that. Don't stop tripping. Stop biting. We teach them how to get along with one another. Well, God desires the same for you and me. And so Jesus came up with this brilliant plan. The goal is resolution. The goal is forgiveness. The goal is unity. The goal is love. And so here he says, in the midst of conflict, here's how you deal with that. Here's how you get to that goal. He says, first of all, if it's possible, I want you to do it as quietly as you can. Don't tell a soul. You go to your brother or sister and you say to them, look, I've got an issue. Look them in the eye personally. Have that conversation with them. Try to work it out quietly so that most of our conflicts, are you listening? Most of our conflicts, nobody should even know about. It shouldn't be on Facebook. Where's Facebook in here? <laughs> and so he says, if you go to them and they don't listen, will involve just a few people to go in as witnesses and then try to resolve it quietly with just the group of you. If that doesn't work, try to take care of it in the church. And so the, 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 the circles get larger and larger, but it should be rare that it would ever become that public. Most things should be done very, very quietly. That is the law of love. That's how Christ himself told us to do that. Is that how we do it? Oh, goodness. <clears throat> Here's what we do. I, I, I don't know what you do. I'm not your judge. But here's how we often do it. Exactly the opposite. If we have an issue against person B, we won't even tell person B. We'll tell person C, D, E, F, G, and everybody we meet, or we'll put it online. We'll, we'll do anything and everything except what God's Word tells us to do. And then part of our slander of that person is, well, they're, they're, they're being unbiblical. <laughs> okay, as a pastor, I get letters. Now, I rarely get them, partly because I'm spoiled here because you guys are great. But every pastor gets the ugly letter from time to time. About a month back, I got a letter. It, I say letter, it was an email. And it was sent from an anonymous email account, so I have no idea who it was. I got the impression that it's a visitor, but I don't know. Uh, and I showed it to the staff. We don't know who it is. The letter was unkind. It was condescending and accusatory. It wasn't accusatory to me or anybody on the staff. It was an issue that they had here at the church. And instead of coming to me personally, eye to eye, like the Bible says, they just wrote a dirty letter about it. And because the goal of an email, just like the goal of our texting and the goal of Facebook is not to resolve our goal is to vent. We, we are not happy with them and we want to lash out at them. So when we're going through traffic and somebody cuts us off, you don't think, well, you know, I'd love to resolve this with that guy in front of me. I think I'll give him a loving hand signal. <laughs> we don't want to resolve. We want to vent. We want to let them know, hey, you, you can't cut me off. And so that's how we resolve things, even in the kingdom. But that's not how things are resolved. If you wrote the letter, and I don't know who wrote the letter. And again, I hadn't, I hadn't got a letter like that in over a decade. Thank you, by the way. <clears throat> um, 
if you wrote me that letter, I want to challenge you to come to me this week and say, Pastor, I wrote the letter. Now, I said the same through the early service. Nobody came to me. So it's down to you guys. (laughs) And say, Pastor, I wrote that letter. I want to resolve this eye to eye. And I'll be honest with you, because this is not... This is not how we deal with things in the kingdom of God. We have to deal with it biblically. And if you don't want to deal with it biblically, and I told the staff there this, I'm not giving that letter any credibility at all because it was dealt with in an unbiblical manner. If you want me to deal with any concern you have, I will listen to any concern you have, but you need to come to me personally. I'm there every day. I'm here six days a week, Jerry will tell you. My office is open and available to every member and every visitor and anybody else that comes by. I will be happy to talk with you. But if you're unwilling to deal with that with me personally, you need to drop it or move on because that's how we must deal with conflict here in a biblical loving manner. Okay? Um, All right. Okay. I want you to know this often also The Bible does not expire. Psalm chapter 119, verse 89, the psalmist says it this way. Your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Your faithfulness continues through all generations. So people, young people, when you go out, and some of you, if you already have, you're in college, when you go out, there are going to be people all around you Young people, professors that that will tell you that the Bible is stupid. It's outdated. It's bigoted. It's not socially correct. And they're going to tell you that it is no longer in effect because we have matured in the 21st century. I told you a couple weeks ago when I preached on pro-life, we are primitive. We think we're so advanced. They thought that same thing in the 1500s in the Dark Ages. They thought that same thing, 500 AD. They thought that same thing in the, the day of, of Christ. There were famous philosophers that had already come along. Plato, Socrates, Aristotle, who, boy, they thought they had arrived. And now we see them as primitive. And I, I told you, 300 years from now, if we're still here, our great-great-great-great-grandchildren will look back and go, oh my gosh, my, how could they think that? How could they do that? We have a lot to learn. So don't listen to them. If they tell you that the Bible is outdated, it is timeless. It is eternal. It was designed to be that way. The Bible is also a powerful tool for navigating life. God loves you. And he knows that you and I struggle. And he wants to help us through life. Psalm 119, 105 says this. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light from my path. Now, of course, 3,000 years ago when this was written, it got dark at night. There was no electricity. You and I would translate this as, or paraphrase it as, when I go out camping at late at night, I need a flashlight so I can see where I'm going. God says life is that way. You and I cannot see where we're going on our own. We are blind to it, but the Bible, God's Word, is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says, For the Word of the Lord is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. 
The Bible isn't stupid and outdated. It is powerful. It'll cut right to the heart, which is why a lot of people don't even like it. One of the more challenging ministries I've had as a pastor, and every pastor would tell you this, is I preach funerals. And it's an opportunity, and I see it as such, for me to, to minister to the family and hurt with them and, and try to lead them and guide them toward God and not away from God. There are people here in this room. I've preached funerals for your loved ones. I, I, I do that even though it's a painful experience. Every pastor does that. When I go to funerals, I will occasionally, and if you've been to many funerals, you, you have seen this as well, I occasionally will, will look into the casket and I will see personal items in the casket with the loved one. A card, a picture. Every once in a while, I'll see a Bible in the casket, which is interesting that they'll put a Bible in the casket and every now and then, when somebody gets ready to pass from this life to the next, they'll make the request to the family that they want to be buried with their favorite Bible. And I will even see it there in their hands. The family will place it in the hands of their loved ones uh, because that Bible was so meaningful to them. It was precious to them. This one is precious to me. This I, I um, ordered in the late 1970s. I've shown it to you before probably. And I have many Bibles that are precious. I told you my father's World War II Bible, the little New Test, pocket New Testament. I have that and uh, um, a number of Bibles that just mean a lot to me. But I received this Bible. It was the first time I, in my life I'd ever bought a Bible. I bought this. I had to order it at church. There was no... this. <laughs> There was no Walmart yet. Uh, that's how old I am. Um, and, and so you couldn't just go down and Graham. I grew up in Graham. You couldn't go down and buy a Bible. You had to order. I, I ordered it through the church and I waited weeks for it to come in. And I finally got the call. Your Bible is in. And I came and got it. And it just, it means so much to me. So many of those dear lessons taught to me by my mother in this Bible. When I confessed to my youth pastor that I felt God leading me to go into ministry. I was holding this Bible. The first sermon I ever preached, this Bible. And so when I die, I want this Bible to be with me. It means so much to me. Is the Word of God precious to you? Oh, how long for us to be like David, to think about the Word of God, and we just want to meditate it day and night. Is it precious to you? It's funny what you don't see in caskets. I've never seen money, cash, cars, motorcycles, or the keys to their vet or whatever. I see Bibles. Is the Word of God precious to you? Do you know it? Do you obey it? Pray with me. Father God, we thank you and praise you for your Word. Oh, forgive us for those times where we take it for granted. We don't even bother to bring it. We don't pick it up for weeks, months, or years. We have it there. But it's been so long since we learned a single verse. Oh, Father, forgive us. 
Father, I ask and pray through your spirit right now that you would grant us a passion for your word like David had, that we cherish it, that it becomes precious to us, that we meditate on your words day and night as David did. Father, I pray that you would help us if we have not been learning your word, that we open it, we read it, and we memorize verses from it. Father, I also pray that you would challenge us to obey your word. Not just the passages that we like, but the ones that we don't like. Not just the ones that are easy, but the ones that are not easy. Help us to obey your word. Help us to be good citizens. Help us to deal with conflict in a way that brings glory to you and brings resolution. Help us to live the way of love and not the way of hate. Grant us wisdom and guidance through your spirit as we study, as we read, and as we cherish your precious word. As you're praying, no one's looking around. I want to challenge you right now. Is the Bible precious to you? Is it really precious to you? Here's my challenge to you. I want to challenge you to commit right now, today, in your own heart, between you and your God, that you will memorize one verse a month. Now, I could say every day, a verse a day. I could say a verse a week. That's reasonable. But if you will just simply memorize one verse a month, that's 12 verses a year in your heart. The years will go by. Those verses will add up. And they will be a guide in your life. They will be a light to your path. God will use those words to grant you wisdom and understanding when somebody around you is hurting or you're in the midst of conflict or you're doubting and you don't know what to do. They will comfort you when you're going through tragedy or loss. They will give you power when you need it. Will you make that commitment to your God today? Lord, I will learn one verse a month. I will commit to one verse a month. And I will place it in my heart. Well, thanks for joining us today online for our worship service. We hope that you are ministered and encouraged to while you're with us. And we just want to remind you that you can connect with us online by going to fbcazel.org forward slash connect. We hope to see you again next week.